has already started but (laughs) let's just keep it all in here hey everybody this is top five movies um this week's episode is going to be talking about our favorite directors um we haven't decided who's going first just yet but we'll do that momentarily and uh i'm john burke and with me this week is Corey Starr. hello hello and michael sanchez that's right big money sanchez (laughs) right mike is referring to our uh previous episode which i'll talk about momentarily but um this week is going to be focusing on our favorite directors. Now, we've done actors and actresses in the past, and so it was only logical that at some point we would end up uh, discussing the people who make the movies, who guide our actors and actresses, um, at least in theory. And um, with this topic, there's a lot of ways to choose their, our list, so I do want to talk about that, but I guess let's first recap. Last week, uh, we did a fantasy summer draft at we're calling our Summer Movie Challenge, um, each of us picked five uh, movies that are coming out between May 1st and August 30th, or 31st, um, sorry. And we went, you know, football fantasy draft style, uh, Serpentine and whatnot, and Mike went first, and then Corey second, and I'm third, and then next round I went first, and Corey second, and Mike third, and so on and so forth, um, until we had five movies each. And Mike got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, so... Of all of our movies, it's the only one that's currently in theaters, but it is doing very, very well, uh, making already over $200 million worldwide. And Dang. Si- yep, and sitting at a uh, pr- pretty steady 67 on Metacritic. Um, so it doesn't look like that's going to drop. It might go up a couple more points. Um, I wouldn't think it would drop dramatically. So your Metacritic's probably safe. The question is how much money will it make? $200 million worldwide in uh, two opening weekends, so two weekends, um, and the weekend's not over yet. Sunday numbers are not in yet, so uh, it's likely to, to hit close to $300 million, um, in its opening weekend, which is pretty awesome. And wow. the question is, can uh, Corey's pick of King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, knock Guardians <laughs> off of the throne? Um, no. Never. <laughs> because, because out of all three of us, and my spouse, I feel like maybe Taylor will go with you, John. And then Mike has people. We're all going to see Guardians of the Galaxy. So yeah. I feel like every single one of Mike's movies I'm going to be supporting. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Actually, which is ironic that I haven't gone to see it yet. Even though I wanted to. We just had It is. You have not contributed to your own points. I have bought I two have tickets. To. No, he doesn't have to. <laughs> no, you do not. But I will. But I will. And I recommend it. In fact, earlier this very day... Um, I recorded an episode of The Rough Cut, which is our friend podcast. Um, I was on there to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It does have um, spoilers, but in the second half of the podcast. We start off with the review with no spoilers, and then we move into spoilers. But um, it was fun doing the podcast with them. It was the first time I've done a podcast without one of you, um, I think. I'm pretty sure I've not done one without both of you, except maybe there may have been one episode of Top 5 where you both couldn't be on, and I ended up doing it. with. I know Ben's done a couple, and Keith has done a couple. I can't remember if they both did an episode with me together, but I don't remember. I don't think so. I feel like you guys, one of you, have been with me on every podcast that I've ever recorded. I'm pretty sure, with the exception of the uh, the few that I did initially, like my first podcast attempt was just me talking about the uh, seven and seven challenge from last year. But aside from that, I have not recorded a podcast with anybody else. It was kind of cool. 
um, going to someone else's setup and not being um, not the one responsible for all the technology for a change. You know, I, I didn't have to mess with the soundboard, um, although I did have to bring a microphone. But um, that episode should be up now. Actually, I haven't looked since I've uh, since like two o'clock, but um, it should be up today or tomorrow. So if you, uh, I recommend checking that podcast out. Um, it's a, a couple of guys that I'm hoping will be on a, a future episode of Top Five Movies. Uh, they're both really interested in being involved. Um, to you know, jump in on an episode, and I think they might be our other two contestants for next year's uh, summer movie draft, um, as I want to expand to five people instead of just the three of us. So, um, something to look forward to, I guess. Sounds fun. Hmm. Yep. Where, where was it at? Uh, it's at Matt's, or I'm sorry, Odie's uh, house. Um, that's their hmm. setup, similar to my setup at, at our house, uh, my house. But you guys can live here too. I don't care. Um, on my way. Yeah, Kathy would be extremely happy if that were true. Um, but if you haven't listened to the fantasy episode yet, that was uh, episode 47. Um, highly recommended. I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, we also kind of overview what we think is going to be good this summer and what we don't. Um, a lot of people were on us about not picking Transformers, and I just keep pointing out that our points are earned money times Metacritic score, and I don't expect Transformers hey. to have a high Metacritic score. At least people are talking to us. True. <laughs> hey, they could you know, have their own and that could be their pick if they don't want to do well. Um, <laughs> That's a burn. Um, also, uh, there is already up on our website a uh, the spreadsheet that will be updated weekly with the numbers. I actually went ahead and updated the Guardians a little early since it's only one movie. Later in the summer, it'll be harder for me to update that frequently as there will be several movies I have to update, so I'll just do that on Mondays. But since it's just Guardians right now, I figured, why not update as the money rolls in this weekend so that we it looks like uh, Mike is crushing us right now with over almost 200-something po- points, I think, or 100-and-something points. Um, but I have Baywatch 2 coming. Yeah, Bay- your I movies mean, Baywatch all, coming as well. Your movies are much earlier. Um, I don't think I have a movie in the, in the running until uh, early June. So And May 19th, I'm going to go... See, you know, Alien Covenant. So there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have not. Those are early. All the buzz I've seen that I heard that, that I was reading about and saw some reviews about. Wow, it was bad. So Alien. I mean, yeah, and that's one of my picks. So mm. I know I'll I'll go see it. I want. I mean, I want to go see it. Still, I am pretty sure I will see all fifteen movies that we picked, plus our <laughs> our three. Um, you know, extra wild card movies. Maybe not the emoji movie, but um, what? But uh, that's the one you brought up to us. Well, I know it's it's going to be tremendously uh, awful. But <laughs> um, you know, it is um, my thing to go see the new movies and do reviews, and so I'm planning on seeing all these plus some that we didn't pick um, this weekend. For example, I am definitely going to see uh, King Arthur, but I might also see Snatched um, just so I can put an opinion out there. <clears throat> um, Amy Schumer. I was a fan. I didn't like her last comedy special, um, but you know that's coming up. But we got to we got to move forward. We can't just keep talking about this episode. But please, if you haven't listened to our fantasy episode, check it out. Um, the summer movies will be keeping it updated throughout the year, uh, and I'm sure the movie club might even review a few movies that come out the summer. I know Corey and I are both going to go see Alien Covenant, um, and I'm pretty sure she's pumped about the pirates movie since she picked it for her list. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Mm. That said, I don't uh, need nobody's judgment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of judgment coming this uh, at you. But uh, well, what's new? What's new? But you know, it it kind of counts towards the results. So, mm-hmm. <sighs> guys. All right, so we're gonna get into our director's <laughs> list. Uh, 
But first, um, I think, Corey, uh, since we've given you the hardest time, I think you get to go <gasps> first today, too. Um, yes! Uh, hey, then, it's uh, been a while, Mike. It's been a while. And then we'll go with uh, Mike second and me third, um, kind of flipping the draft order from last week. But um, I want before we get into our actual list, I don't think spoilers are going to be an issue with this since we're talking our favorite directors. Unless there's a movie where you really feel like you got to discuss something that like the director did at the end or something, but if you do, let's just do individual spoiler warnings on that one. Um, okay. But um, and if we have any overlap, should we hold off? Or yeah, or it, know? interrupt. Yeah, interrupt um, before the person starts going on their whole ding, thing. Ding 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 um, ding. Unless it happens again, like the last one, you and I had overlap, but it was back to back numbers. Like you were about to go anyway, so it didn't really matter like um it mattered that's not what i mean no mike you matter so much um (laughs) but um i want to talk real quick whoop i don't know what that was but i want to talk about our uh the selection process i hope so mike you there yeah okay it just it it's static to a crescendo and then it went silent so it sounded like you might have got disconnected oh that was that was me channeling through the audio channels ah So here is um, my process with my list. Um, I did pick favorite directors, but I also picked some of the directors don't have a huge body of work, but the work that they've done has connected with me so much that Mm -hmm. um, I felt like they not only deserve to be mentioned, but that I do put them up high on my list. Like I know when these directors are attached to another project, I'm going to go see that movie. Um, And so... I did leave off some really big names on my list, and I wanted to... These aren't honorable mentions, but I feel like these are, like, obvious, amazing directors. Alfred Hitchcock, um, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. might be on your list. I don't mean... I'm mm-hmm. not trying to step on anyone's mm-hmm. toes. But... And I love, like, five of his movies that I've... Uh, I've seen seven of his movies, I'm sorry. And I love all seven of them. However, seven of 55 that I haven't seen. Um, and, and I also know that... Um, He's he's everyone knows he's great. So saying like he's my favorite is kind of pretentious in a way. Like yeah, okay guy. It's like do you like oxygen? Because you know I hear that's pretty popular. And oxygen's the best. And then also wanting to give um because I took the same route that you did making my list. But also there are so many so many directors that I think do such great work. And even though they don't have a large body of work, more people should be paying attention to them. And maybe they just don't really know about them yet. Yes, agreed. Uh, Very much so that there's. All these, like, and of course, there are the big name directors that everybody knows, but they're mainly used as butts of jokes. Like, um, I'm pretty sure I'm safe in saying Michael Bay's name here. I doubt he's on any of our list. And honestly, I don't know that anyone would say they love Michael Bay. And that's kind of my point is people know Michael Bay and they don't like him. Is he married? Michael Bay? Yeah. I don't know. Well, that would be the person that, you know, would oh, say. Oh, that might say he's, maybe not. Like, I love him, but his work is derivative. But, um, <laughs> but. You know, I mean, like, people know Michael Bay, but not necessarily for good reasons. And so that's what I kind of wanted to go with. Now, not saying all of my directors aren't known. Some of mine are very well known. But there's a couple that I think are lesser known, and those are definitely... um, That's not why I picked them. It's just that I'm happy that I feel confident putting them on my list and they're lesser known. But I did leave off some of my favorites that I feel are, again, more ubiquitous um, because of that. And... um, you know, so that's I just wanted to put that on on Front Street. Um, I have a lot of fa- favorite directors. Like I, I have looking at just the list I generated here. I've probably got 15 names on this list that I narrowed down to my top five. Um, so I, I'm not going to read all of them when we get to honorable mentions, but I did want to mention like Kubrick and Hitchcock um, being these 
everyone knows are considered to be among the best directors. And there's uh, tons more I could say going back to the old days. Um, and I just wanted to mention that. Like, of course, I do think Hitchcock is great. I just didn't feel like I needed to make him my number one or two or even on my top five. Um, just because people know him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need any more exposure than it. Yeah. See, that's the thing is, I think I feel on my list, they are pretty well known. But, well, we'll see. Oh, yeah, we'll and see a couple of mine are too. I'm not, like, they're so, just, I feel like they connect with me on a bigger level. And again, they're still making movies. All of my directors, to my knowledge, at least, are all still making movies. And when I when a movie with their name attached is coming out, I will go see it without any hesitation. So... Corey, you're going to start us off. What is your number five top uh, director? Okay, so I'm glad that you kind of took the same route as I did. But, um, okay, my number five is actually James Wan. Hmm. Um, okay. I he's He has a larger body of work than some of the directors that I chose, but there is something about the atmosphere he creates in his movies. I love The Conjuring. I've already said it. I wasn't going to go see that, but I'm so glad that I did. And The Conjuring 2, I love Dead Silence. I feel like that movie could be so extremely cheesy, but it's not. And while I think the Saw franchise needs to die now, um, I think that that first one was unlike anything that I had ever seen before. So I respect it in that aspect. And I'm really hoping that we see some more work from him. I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't do Annabelle or I don't think he is doing it. He is not doing Annabelle, um, the creation. I feel like those could have been a lot better if he was at the home with them. But I chose James Wan. Well, it's interesting because this guy is very steeped in horror film, but we do know that he did um, he did Furious 7. And uh, I didn't realize, actually, and I, I've, I know I've heard this, but he's directing the Aquaman film set to come out in 2018. Um part of the dc universe yeah and so uh he's 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 definitely branching out um i've heard mixed things about um furious 7 from the the fast and furious fans some love it and some think it's uh a bit too out there i hear there's a lot of like cars flying through the air not flying but like you know lots of car jump sequences that are impossible i think they're like jumping back and forth between skyscrapers or something like that um and so I heard it was a little bit more, um, this is hard to say, but out there for a Fast and the Furious film. You know, and that's saying something. Um, and that's just from some reviews I've heard. Um, but I don't know if that was his take on an action movie, that it needed to be more supernatural um, or what. But Which is interesting because even his horror films, I feel, are somewhat grounded um, compared to other horror films uh, that are out there. But... Um, yeah, uh, I think he's definitely a solid director. I love both the Conjuring films. I was a huge fan of Saw when it first came out. Um, I liked Insidious, but I didn't love Insidious. You know what's sad is I need to rewatch that movie. I know I've seen it, but I don't know if it was when I watched it, but a lot doesn't stand out for me. I can remember bits and pieces and I remember the end, but yeah, I don't. It was pretty straight. Like, it was kind of generic. Um, Patrick Wilson's really good in it, but. You know, he's better in The Conjuring. Well, I was trying to dig it not because I didn't realize he was associated with Death Sentence from way back when. Are you all familiar? No. Kevin Bacon, John Goodman. Hmm. Um, it's basically, um, think Death Wish. Uh, do you know Death Wish? Charles yes. Bronson. Oh, yeah. Exploitation way back when. Basically, that tale, uh, and I think it was the same author as as and similar concept. 
Mm. Um, but it's, it's, mm, I won't say horror. It's definitely thriller because it is a revenge tale. That's what it says. Uh, and so. 36 um, on Metacritic. <laughs> what's that? What? It's got a 36 on Metacritic. The, uh, oh, no. Death sentence. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, it's hard to watch. And by the time the end <laughs> comes around, you're like, oh, it's time to watch something, you know, a little more uplifting because it's pretty, you know, the whole concept and idea behind it is not, you know, and it's. Heavy. I could see why, why I would score that low. I got to say. But I, oh, go ahead, Mike. Well, it's just I didn't realize he was associated with it. I just mm. watched it out of curiosity. Well, I was about to say um, I, I I didn't think about this because um, when we do our list throughout, you know, we've been doing this for almost a year now, uh, almost episode 50, actually. And well, there is a lot of difference in our taste, but there's also a lot of similarities in our taste, which is I always find that really interesting because – um, we like a lot of the same stuff, but we also seem to have branched out in different directions. So, like, we have this core of similarity that has become this uh, our own diverse taste away from it. Um, like, we all like certain types of movies, but then we also have very specific, like, what you watch, what Mike watches, and what I watch, are we have our own kind of distinctive elements. And one never even crossed my mind, even though I like all the movies that he's known for, for the most part. You know, like, I love both The Conjurings, even though... I thought two went a little off the rails. Um, I really liked the first Saw a lot. I think I even saw that in the theater like two or three times because I was so like I was like Dang. telling other people to come. Like you have to see this movie. It's so much cooler than so much other horror that's out right now. And I'm not a big horror. Like I used to think I was really into horror and realize I'm only into like somewhat mainstream horror and know very little of the genre on a big scale. But um, I did really enjoy Saw. So, but yet he didn't cross my mind because those aren't movies that I go to again. That's like a one. I'm good. Move to the next kind of thing. Um, and uh, conjuring. Go, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, and I, I like that because that means our list. Even though we have similar tastes on a some scale, I think our tastes are probably going to show here, um, at least in the later, like in these early picks. Maybe number one and two might be similar and more similar or something. But um, like my number five is nowhere in the ballpark of a James Wan. So. And I was just going to say that I appreciate when I rewatch the Conjuring. I haven't rewatched Conjuring two yet. Um, but I still get very uneasy. I'm still very... I imagine. The tone in that film is impressive. You know, that whole clapping scene? Holy heck. Okay. All right. Uh, I think, though, that's a good place to move into Mike's number five. What do you got, bud? All right. Um, I'm going with John Hughes. So I'm going to pause because I don't know if anyone else will have him on their list. I actually have him on my honorable mentions, so you're safe. Oh. Okay. I mean, uh, I think we went along the same route uh, all of his vacation 16 candles work science breakfast club ferris bueller's day off pretty and pink i could keep going on it uncle buck home alone they spoke to us uh, many of us throughout the 80s and early 90s and to this day i feel the humor still holds up for the most part audience audiences are still going to relate to at least one or probably more of the characters in any of his films i mean if you're not feeling Something in some way, I mean, come on, when this is a spoiler, but Home Alone's been out forever. But when the creepy old man gets reunited, you know, you get to find out about his, you got to feel something when he gets reunited with his, you know, estranged family. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, I gotta be honest, Home Alone is not one of my favorites. That's just one of the moments I plucked out. But, um, you know, unrequited love when we're talking pretty in pink, um, the goofball uncle that comes over yeah it's all these different things he and he stuck to comedy mostly but there were some um breakfast club had comedic moments but i would say mostly 
especially when it gets deep into the conversations with the char- the characters and one another. Uh, it, it was it's I will still sit and watch these. Uh, even Uncle Buck, which I I don't say is the strongest of his, that's one of my son and I's favorites, and. Uh, he had a, an ear for dialogue. He understood teenagers. Do you know he didn't? That was the trouble with the '80s and teen movies, and even now, I think it's really tricky to write and not sound so hokey and cheesy, and not at least for a you know teenage characters. I feel. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's kind of a lot of teenage kind of, sounds fake. Yeah, it's almost like they're old souls, sort of. Um, and there are some, some, some that are, but. You know, it's really tricky to get that balance correct, and he did it really well. I do have to point out one thing, though, um, and I think this is going to be something that a few of our choices might. Um, Hughes was the writer and director, um, yet while he wrote tons of movies, he only directed eight. And you can still have him, no question, as your favorite director, and uh, Breakfast Club being one of those films that he directed. Um, 16 Candles, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, (laughs) Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue... Um, are oh, the yeah. eight films that he that directed. That was on his way out. Yep, and uh, Curly Sue, interestingly enough, the girl that played Curly Sue, if I'm not mistaken, won last year on The Voice, um, according oh. to, to our friend of the podcast, I think, is the one who told me that, uh, Brendan. Um, pretty sure that's correct. I have not done any fact-checking on that, but interesting little uh, factoid. But, um, yeah, Hughes, uh, whether du- we talk direction or we talk just writing, um, I totally think deserving to be on the list because he, again, Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles both are two of the most well-regarded 80s films by many. People, you know, refer back to them. They show their kids those movies. And I think uh, even as a teacher, Breakfast Club is used all the time in conversation because of how it represents that still uh, the, the clicks mentality of a high school. Um, you know, and it's 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 very interesting, and he really nails the archetypes I think of high school students. And while they've evolved over the years, they're they're still there. You still see those archetypes kind of develop inside schools. Um, so it definitely uh, resonates very well. And I'm gonna also say that um, his characters are very relatable, mm. um, which I really appreciate. Um, not totally above and beyond. You know, we can, you kind of already mentioned that, but that's something I've always appreciated and even re-watching some of the movies there are little things that i didn't notice before or you know and he had some of the best soundtracks ever <laughs> which i know he only wrote um well not only but he wrote pretty in pink but i just feel like i loved that so much about so many of the movies he was involved with yeah and i mean you can see that while he didn't direct all of them he definitely had some influence mm-hmm. on casting and stuff because molly ringwald oh, yeah. shows up in all those films um even when he's not directing so he he wasn't just a writer who sold a script and then walked away like he i would be willing to bet if we did some research he was involved in the whole process whether he was the director or not um but you know worthy of note um it is hard to not to separate the writer from the director yeah um, yeah but all right um i think definitely a solid pick uh, my pick uh, is relatively new to me. I actually hadn't seen any of his movies until the last year, um, in which case I've seen three of his movies. And uh, that's actually true of two different directors on my list. Um, <gasps> but uh, number five is Derek Cian France. Um, Stop. Oh, he's on Corey's list. All right. So that's my I number five. I think we're going to have overlap of two, you and I. Mm, probably. Probably. Oh, wait. You know what? Um, I would have guessed John Hughes for Mike. So let's go. I'm going to guess I can get three of Mike's directors 
Hmm. This time, Corey. Uh, hold on. That are also on your list, or that you're familiar with? Oh no, that we're that we know, that we know their work, and even that oh. Mike would pick, because I have okay. one in mind that I'm pretty sure will end up on Mike's list. I'm gonna go with four. I'm gonna. Oh, she went big. Yeah, mm. I did. Yeah, I did. Because I think that Mike and I have one in, one the same too. Ah, but okay, uh, that's probably the one I think I know. Um, all right. Well, then I guess we'll, I'll hold off on talking about Derek C. on France until we get to Corey's pick. So, Corey, what is your number? Who is not what? That's so rude. Who is your number four uh, top five director? Okay, I chose a better known act uh, director for this. I chose George A. Romero. Oh, okay, very nice. Um, I felt like for a while he needed to stop making films, <laughs> but he has so many that I love and so many that are respected in the horror genre. Um, you guys know I love Creepshow 1 and 2. Um, he he did Night of the Living Dead. He had, like, that whole... Um, I thought that it was a trilogy, but there... Well, I knew there were four or five, but I didn't realize that was part of a seven-film franchise. We're talking Night of the Living really Dead? Um, yeah. He yeah. Ha I knew Night of the uh, Living Dead, mm -hmm. Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and I knew he had Diary of the Dead, but I'm forgetting... Um, Land of the Dead, Day Survival of the Dead. So I think it's six. Yep, seven. Oh, I think it's... Is my math wrong? It's one, I think two, there's three. another one we're missing. So hmm. Night of, Dawn but... of, Day of, Land of, Diary of, and Survival of. That's six. Okay. But he was involved with the remake of Dawn of the Dead. He, he wrote... Well, I don't know if he wrote a new version of the screenplay or if they just credited him as a writer because they used his source material. So much, yeah. Um, but, yeah, for both the remakes, actually, for Night of the Living Dead and the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead, or Day of the Dead, sorry. Is it Dawn or Day? Which one did he do? Dawn, right? Dawn. Yeah. Dawn. Yep, 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 at the mall. I yes. like the original better. Which is still one of my favorite movies. I, um, not the remake, the original. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that movie so much, and it's so weird that it's one of my comfort films. But um, I need to go back and re-watch Diary of the Dead, and I don't even know if I gave Survival of the Dead a chance. But I still feel like... Especially um, Night of the Living Dead is such an important film for the whole horror genre. And I thought that he needed to be named in, in somebody's list. I mean, considering that he essentially uh, was the first full zombie movie. Zombie. Um, yeah, and now if you look at zombie culture right now being as huge as it is, um, it is starting to fade out now. Uh, but for a few years there, like Lakeland was having Zombie Fest. Um, and, you know, we have The Walking Dead, obviously, but there's iZombie on CW and... The Walking Dead spinoff, Fear of the Walking Dead, and the comic books. I mean, all of the There's zombie the... is really because of Romero and with Night of the Living Dead all those years ago. And there's also yep. the Walker Stalker Fest, but I'm not sure. I think that's the name of it. It's pretty big zombie convention, mm -hmm. too. But agreed. And I like with um, Walking Dead, I can't even watch this newest season. I'm done. Um for reasons that you guys know, but I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody. But um, I just feel like that's kind of tired. I don't know. And very inconsistent. Mm. Well, I thought, was oh. it season four was horrible? And then season five was so great. Or maybe whatever the one was before that's on um, the season that's now or Yeah, I, I don't even know, to be honest. I'm so, I, I did stop watching halfway through this season. Um, and I'm okay with that, to be honest. I thought I would be upset <laughs> if I stopped watching it, but no, I'm I'm fine. So mm -hmm. I'm probably done. Oh. Um, so uh, I do I like Romero, so good pick, Corey. Um, Mike, what is your number four? Or dang it, I did it again. Who is your number four? 
man, they're just things to you. They're well, just possessions. usually we're picking movies, okay? It's, not, it's weird picking people. <laughs> it is. We pick. Oh yeah, that's right. We picked movies last week. Okay. Um, well, uh, in the late seventies and the part of the eighties, we had this horror royalty to go to, and even though his more recent work is oh. has left a bit to be desired, um, I think John Carpenter. I knew it. <laughs> um, fits. See, we should have had you list out or post a picture of who you thought. But anyway, ah. yeah, th- this list wouldn't be complete without John Carpenter on it. Um, I think his early works were definitely something you just uh, he defined a genre. Oh. Michael Myers in Halloween. Your there. mic messed up a little bit, but you're still uh, there. Uh, how are we back? Now are you're back? back. Yeah, you're back. All right, that's weird. I might be having a short. I might need to switch headsets at some point, but that won't happen right now. In any case, so um, basically defining a genre with the creation of Michael Myers in Halloween. Um, kind of turning the pseudo-Western with Assault on Precinct 13, because even though that was set in an inner-city police department, uh, you know, Precinct, it's really... I mean, I think he even admits that it's a, you know, a Western tone to it. Western film, not West... You know what I mean. Uh, Old West. Um, And going to the ghost story and his take on it with the fog, even though he, you know, the Big Trouble in Little China might have been a failure... At the time, I think it's definitely proved itself as a cult hit. It's, it was just literally the other the other day, and I was just telling him what I've watched it again, and it, it was a little bit different than what people because it was more comedic and action um, than than what he'd been known for. And taking, I mean, honestly, Hollywood rival studios having you know you know that syndrome where they're developing projects, Volcano and Dante's Peak, Armageddon, and Deep Impact, Deep Impact, yeah, um, and you know where they always have similar kind of movies. Uh, that was happening between. I think they were originally wanted John Carpenter for The Golden Child, but he went with his own, and so you know they were sort of competing with one another, and neither of them clicked. Neither of them mm-hmm. resonated with anyone, and it just didn't have the box office they wanted. Yeah, uh, but I mean, the, the, uh, John Carpenter to me, like I knew you were gonna pick him. Just because, like, he's done so many movies that um, I know you are a big fan of. But also, I mean, the guy's iconic. When you think of, like, horror films, especially when you think of slasher films, Mike Myers is the guy. You know, with him, Jason are, like, back and forth, but you know, Myers came first. And so, you know, how do you not include, if you're a fan of horror genre, if you're a fan of kind of quirky 80s synth music even, I mean, you know, the thing um, just... So much, and I, again, knowing and, you especially, I, I I figured he was on your list. And I didn't even mention um, the thing, yeah, which he got so right, and still to this day, with its practical effects, holds up. And I always keep. Uh, it'll, I probably sound like a broken record repeating myself, but still, um, that's he's one of those that I will sit and watch all the time. No, I I agree. And Corey, uh, I I actually thought he was going to be the one you thought you shared with Mike, but apparently not. No, um, I appreciate what I've seen of his mm, Big Trouble in Little China did not really see. I think that's a dude flick. Like I was about and to, not to be you say that. sexist, but I yeah, think no. so, too. You know what I mean? I'm not. Yeah. And I don't like, mean oh, God, it I hate in a sexist way. Like anyone can like it. But I think you have to have the mindset of the dude, like like not the dude from Big Lebowski, but the dude like this macho fight guy. Yeah. yeah like and that could Except be any gender. He too. is. Oh, totally. There's there's a humorous element to the film. They're almost making fun of that action genre, 
but it's mm-hmm. definitely still there and it's it's you know the martial it appeals to me for the martial arts side of it the uh the mystical side of it um mm-hmm. and i you know it, it's it's a film that i think my grandpa loved when i was a kid and i don't i think he tried to get me to watch it with him once and i just i just didn't and then um i think after he passed away uh in 2006 I bought the movie and gave it a chance mainly because he had recommended it so highly. So that definitely influenced my enjoyment of it. But, uh, you know, it's one that I'm, I'm glad I own. Um, I, I have a lot of fond memories of that film now. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably probably in my top three for Carpenter. Um, honestly, I, I really need to rewatch the thing. Like I've seen the thing, but it's been a long time. And I, me- I wanted to watch it this past Halloween. And I just I kept putting other things that I hadn't seen in front of it and never got to. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that I, I get to watch it uh, this year around Halloween again. Um, but yeah, good pick, Mike, for sure. Thanks. Uh, Agreed. M- my next director, uh, I don't think will be on Corey's list this time, but I could be wrong. Um, he's only done uh, he's done a few more films, but I've only seen three of them. Um, and they all speak to me a, a part of, of who I am, or at least who I was for a long time. And they're all films about music. Um, and it's the director, John Carney. Um, he directed Once, Begin Again, and Sing Street um, that I've seen. And he's done a few other movies that don't have to do with music. And from what I'm seeing, they did not get nearly the critical acclaim that the other three did. Um, but Once was a super small, low-budget film um, that I bought at Walmart on a whim a long time ago. Like probably in two- The movie came out in 2007. I probably bought it in 2008. It was in like the $5 bin. It had a guy holding a guitar case. And a girl, so I'm like, eh, this is probably pretty good. So I bought it, <laughs> and I never watched you, it. You uh, judged it by its cover. I do that with we movies that a lot. Um, but so I, I bought this movie, and it sat on my shelf and stayed in its plastic for many years. Last year, I saw a trailer for a movie called Sing Street that I desperately wanted to see, and then it didn't come to my local theater. And I finally, I kept hearing great things about it, and it came out on VOD, and I bought it immediately without seeing it, just bought it. Watched it, loved it, like I thought I would, and started looking up who John Carney was and saw that he did this movie called Once. I'm like, I think I own this. I'm pretty sure I bought this movie. And sure enough, there it was on my shelf, still in the, the plastic from when I bought it. I think it even still had the price tag on it. Um, so I'm like, I want to watch this now. And I ripped it open, put it in, and I loved it. Now, if you go into Once thinking it's going to be this you know glossy Hollywood-style film, you're wrong. It's a guerrilla film. It's shot primarily illegally without permits in Ireland. Um, with handheld cameras, with two people who are not actors but are musicians, but they capture the emotion and the music so well, and the music, the soundtrack on Once is great, which, of course, it did win an Academy Award for Best Original uh, Song and Soundtrack, if I'm not mistaken. And it was turned into a Broadway musical that won Tony's because of the same thing. The music is just tremendous. And then in between Sing Street and Once is a movie called Begin Again, um, that I think, while the movie suffers from being a Hollywood film, it, it definitely has you know a lot of. As Mark Ruffalo's great, Kira Knightley's fine, Adam Levine isn't an actor, um, and it, um, <laughs> it, it even has um, Haley Steinfeld, Haley Steinfeld uh, as Mark Ruffalo's daughter, who's great in it. Um, the movie it's not nearly as good as Once or Sing Street, but it has I think if you're a musician and you've watched a lot of movies, if you're a musician to me and you like movies. You watch every movie that is about a musician. It's just like you kind of have to. And there are some great ones, um, you know, out there. I remember my guitar player in my uh, my band, Contrast, uh, had like a list of five movies every musician has to watch. And I think he had singles on that, and I disagree. I don't think singles is a good movie. But 
I do love the scenes with Allison Chains and, and that Chris Cornell is one of the characters, but I don't care for the film. Um, See, I always switch the scenes with Allison. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, once, or I'm sorry, Begin Again has this scene where Mark Ruffalo's character, who is a music producer, hears Kira Knightley playing solo at a bar. And he's drawn to her, like not sexually, mu- musically. And he starts orchest- like orchestrating the rest of the instruments like, in his head. But they visualize it by these instruments starting to play themselves on stage. And it is the best visualization for a song being composed that I've ever seen um, on film. And I, I just love that scene so much that the rest of the movie, while not bad, it's not a bad film. It's just, it's fine. Oh, um, James Corbin is in it as well. And he's really funny. So I do like him in that. But um, John Carney, those are the three <laughs> films of his that I've seen. They all speak to me personally because of my music background. Um, and I love the music, except again, begin again, kind of flops with that one. And it's primarily because Adam Levine's got like three songs that are, they're Adam Levine. You know, they all kind of sound the same and blend together. Not that they're not talented, you know, he's not a talented musician or anything, but they're all very pop, you know, forgettable songs. Yeah. And I don't mean any disrespect to Adam Levine if he happens to be listening. Just saying that compared to Once and Sing Street, which have very distinctive styles in their music, and plus, Glenn Hansard, uh, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name from once, the songs he wrote for the movie are among my most repeated tracks on Google Play Music. Um, I want to hop in about him, too, because I don't know if you know this, but he actually formed the band The Frames, Mm -hmm. which is an Irish band that was pretty popular and released quite a few albums, and then he went on to be in another band, The Swell Season. So I did not realize that's who is in that movie. You, are you talking Hansard or um yeah yeah well and, and John Carney played with uh, Glenn I think in the frames if I'm not mistaken um or at least in one of his early bands uh John Carney was a musician which is why the three films that he's done about music I think hit home so much because he's not just a filmmaker he's making yeah he he's lived yeah. that life and I think it shows um now I'm sure there's some musicians out there who might think differently especially if you know uh these the genres don't speak to you but um, it really does work. It clicks with me. I mean, I, when I look back through a lot of my favorite music movies, um, these Once and and Sing Street are up there, probably in my top five. Uh, that thing you do is on that list as well. And honestly, I got to say it, uh, The Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg is pretty great. I like that movie. I don't care if it's bad. I enjoy it. What? I know. Oh. It's good, man. I'm telling you, when he sings, it's like, it's it's great. i just glad he doesn't sing Feel the Vibrations. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's oh, my gosh. pick. And that's again, he's a new director. He's got a lot of room. He could easily fall off my list. Um, one, there's a, there's two movies that I haven't seen of his that are out, and he has two movies that are in production right now um, that don't look like they're about music. And it might be maybe that's his wheelhouse. Maybe he can only pull off these music movies. But I'm willing to watch whatever he does next, and that's why I felt comfortable putting him on my list. Well, and I've never heard of On the Edge. Uh, is that one of the ones you've mentioned that you hadn't seen? I think so. Yeah, and, and so and it's not about music, or at least not yeah. And one's called Zonads or something like that. Zone, Zone, Zonad um, from two thousand and nine. That's another one of his movies. Um, in fact, uh, On the Edge, Zonad, and um, The Rafters are the three films of his that I'm not familiar with. But Killian Murphy is in On the Edge, though. That makes sense because yeah. he was supposed to be in once um, and backed out because he didn't think he could sing the songs as well as Glenn Hansard could. So. He didn't want to do it a disservice. Um, 
At least that's the what's in the IMDb trivia. So let's move into Corey's number four. My number three? Three is how we count down. That's correct. Three is the next number <laughs> I was four. like, George A. Romero? No. Oh. Um, so my number three is Derek Cian France. Oh, good. I get to talk about this guy. Yes. Um, I have only seen three of his films. Blue Valentine, The Place Beyond the Pines, and The Light Between Oceans. And I have loved them all. Um, I need... There are a couple of other films of his that I want to check out. Yep. Um, I'm very excited about this film he's got slated for 2018 called Metalhead. Um, yeah. That sounds really interesting. But yeah, uh, I've only seen the same three movies. In fact, we've done two of his films on uh, the, our other podcast, the Burke Reviews Movie Club. Um, we've done both Blue Valentine and uh, The Light Between Oceans. Um, but I I also love all three of his films. Um, two of them star Ryan Gosling. Um, and they're, they're just, he's got a very awesome visual style. Um, very, you know, grounded yet melodramatic take on love. All, all of the films deal with love to some degree. Um, but I wouldn't call them romances necessarily, but they all deal with love. Um, different types of love too. You know, love of a child, love of of family, love of, of, of a wife or, or boyfriend or husband, whatever. And uh, man, his visual style is so compelling. Um, I and I, I love his storytelling style, and I believe he's written all three um, as well. I might be wrong on that one, but Carney did, by the way. And I meant to mention that um, that all three of his films that I that I have seen, he has written. Um, and looks like Cena France. Yeah, he he has other people credited as well, but he's credited as a writer for all three of the films. Um, and sometimes for, I oh, no, I'm sorry, um, no, I was three. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll hop in really fast. I love also that sometimes with some directors, it feels like they kind of get stuck in a, I don't know, where so many of their stories seem so similar. Mm. And I appreciate that about his movies because none of them, they aren't alike to me at all. No, no, not at all. I mean, um, other than some themes being uh, brought in uh, very different. I mean, Place Beyond, Pine, Place Beyond the Pines has such a unique plot structure um, and I don't want to spoil that movie, but it it has three very distinctive sections of the film, um, more so than other films. I mean, most movies can be broken into three acts, and I don't think that's sufficient here, where it is three very distinctive elements, and the acts aren't necessarily where the distinctions are made, um, as certain things happen, and, and we follow different people as it's told, yet they're all connected, and that's part of the theme, that interconnectedness that we all have with each other. Um, just really, really captivating movies. They're, uh, they're films that I, I definitely want to rewatch and revisit. Um, some are, I think a light between oceans might be a little hard to rewatch. Um, not because it's not great, just because it is, it is taxing emotionally. Um, but yeah, and, and blue Valentine, the, the structure of, we have parallel narratives, um, of the blossoming of, of the relationship and also the destruction of the relationship, um, later on and, and the juxtaposition that you get in that film. It's just it's just great, and I really want to see what else this guy does. Um, I think anything he puts his name on, um, one because he has a relatively small body of work, um, he is very selective. He likes to work on films that he clearly is interested in, um, and has a vested interest in as he's taking the time to write the screenplay as well as direct it. I wonder how many more times he's going to work with Gosling. I you know what I I would My- love that he didn't do a light between oceans, but he was I think making La La Land. I think didn't you say? He was originally supposed to do Light Between Oceans? I believe so. I, th- I feel like we, we'd read something about that when we were watching it, um, and he couldn't because I think he was making La La Land. So, which, in my opinion, great choice, Gosling, because La La Land definitely got more money uh, in box office than Light Between Oceans, and I love La La Land a lot. So, 
Um, but I hope he keeps working with Gosling because I love Gosling in those movies. Um, Agreed. And uh, yeah, that's Derek C. France. My number five, Corey's number three. Um, and Mike, have you you haven't seen any of those movies? I take it. Not a single one. That's why I've been kind of silent. So I'm gonna kind of going down the list. Yeah, it's, it's your turn, man. Number three, what you got? Um, well, I'm going with, and hopefully this won't surprise y'all, and maybe it will. Um, any of you that have not watched the Studio Ghibli film to date oh. really should take some time to correct that failure in life. Okay, it's not really a failure in life, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of animated features that you really should take a look at. And Hayao Miyazaki, who is my pick, is... Uh, Going all the way back to when I knew it as Warriors, uh, Warriors of the Wind, and actually now as, as Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Mm-hmm. Let's see, that's thirty some years ago, just way back when. And I'm not even because he's also a writer, and I haven't seen everything that he's written, but I've definitely seen a good amount. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo. Um, I wanted to see The Wind Rises, which is one of the most recent, if not the most recent, I didn't get to yet. I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, just like I mentioned with Doc John Hughes, uh, he's got this innate talent with his storytelling and these characters and definitely strong female characters, uh, especially in um, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away. Um, the, just, there's, I remember we rushed, and even my whole family, because my wife and I don't share a whole lot as far as in in similar film tastes and we went to see Ponyo on the big screen and I know that they're coming out and I forget when they're doing the Fathom events where they're coming back with these in the big Mm. screen which I really want to get to whether or not I get to get a chance to that's to be seen but um, uh, these tales he gives you um, will affect you in some way if not I feel that you're either you're either probably an android or part Vulcan <laughs> or maybe part of our future Skynet overlords, but um, well, that's that's what I went with. I still have only seen Spirited Away, but I've seen it now um, four times as I just got through teaching it to my uh, my film class, um, who are making animated shorts with Legos. They're doing stop motion animations, um, but we we started with Spirited Away and our study and a deep analysis of that film. So I feel like I know it inside and out right now um and i i love spirited away i liked it when i watched it last year for the first time but i i love it now and see so much nuance and so much um symbolism just built into that movie left and right like the ability to interpret that film is vast i mean you can go so many different directions mm-hmm. and um i have purchased five other films of his that i am going to be watching i'm actually hoping i can get to them in the next couple of weeks now that the film festivals are over and stuff um, I, I have a little more freedom of what I watch, and I think I'm going to make that a priority is to get through all five of those movies. Um, and those are movies that my daughter's really interested in as well. And um, she, it was, it's funny because when we were watching Spirited Away, um, there was one of the rare times she did something where she got in trouble, um, but I didn't know about it while we were watching it, and it found out like halfway through, so she ended up not finishing it because she was in trouble. Um, not a big thing. It was for for her. I mean, it's a big thing, but for like an average kid, I think it would be minute. And she didn't technically do anything wrong, but nonetheless, she never got to finish Spirited Away, um, kind of by her own choosing too. But um, I know she's wanted to get back to seeing it and then seeing all the other films. So that's something I'm hoping to 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 do. And uh, I know he's an iconic director, though. Um, I think he's probably one of the only animated like auteur directors. 
which is interesting because it's not something you hear about a lot with animated films. In fact, um, I would say a lot of people are unaware of not only the directors in general. I think your average moviegoer doesn't think about a director with the exception of those big names um, like Michael Bay who, who, you know, just have this, like James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, like those people, people know them on a casual level where, you know, um, I think with animated features it's even more likely people won't because they're not thinking about the real people making the movie. They're just looking at the uh, cartoon figures in front of them. And but when it comes to animated, he's the one that I think like I've heard so much about people. If his name's attached to a film, we'll watch it immediately without any you know hesitation. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely, I, I agree. Uh, definitely a great pick, um, and one that I hope I can add to my list once I see more of his work. I need to check them out while they're in theaters because I still have not seen any of them, and that makes me sad. You're gonna have to buy you some. Need to check your life. You need to yep. rethink your life. It might be time to I join know, the but... Disney Movie Club, Corey. <laughs> Stop it! No. Come on, I need. I get. Nope. I get a free movie if you join. Oh my gosh! Come on, it's worth peer it. pressure. Peer pressure. No. But you get a bunch of awesome movies. All right. Because I need more. We always need more, Corey. We we <laughs> have do. we have an addiction. Um. All right. Um. My number three is my turn, right? Yep. My number three. Yeah. It's weird because I just talk so much during Corey's number three, so I apologize, Corey. But, um, I kind of, I kind of, I don't think I cheated per se, but I get two for my number three. And that's because they're brothers and they work together. Um, and technically, depending on which film, some, it's sometimes one is listed as just the director and the other one's listed as the writer, or they're both listed as writers and only one director, or they're both listed for both. And that's Joel and Ethan Cohen. Um, oh, okay. I I love the Coens. Um, I knew I liked them before last year, but I'd only really seen like two or three of their films before last year. And I made an effort um, to watch more in honor of their most recent film, Hail Caesar. And that's where I found some of my favorite movies of theirs, which uh, True Grit and No Country for Old Men um, have become two of my favorite movies kind of in general. Um, but I also saw The Man Who Wasn't There. Um, I rewatched The Big Lebowski, I'm pretty sure. I watched Barton Fink, which I absolutely loved. I watched Miller's Crossing, which I thought was fantastic. I would wanted to rewatch Miller's Crossing because I watched it on the plane and not the best place to watch that movie. But um, And then, you know, there's still films of theirs I haven't seen. I haven't seen Blood Simple. Um, I think I saw Raising Arizona when I was a kid, but I've not seen it since I was an adult. Um, Hudsucker Proxy, I've not seen. Um, I don't know that I want to watch Intolerable Cruelty, but I do own it, so I might watch it eventually. And um, that's it. I think I've seen everything else that they've done. And at least they're, they're full, like, directing, not just the parts, because they're in Paris, J. Tam. I don't know how to say that. Just to M. But I don't think that's their exclusive film. I think that's a group, like an anthology. And same thing with... To Each His Own Cinema, I think, is the same thing. There, It's an anthology piece. So I've seen all of their other films, um, except for those two, and anything before Blood Simple, uh, which are all shorts. So they're... I, and honestly, I love everyone I've seen, and some more than others. Like, I'm a big fan of Inside Llewellyn Davis, or Llewellyn Davis, or however you're supposed love to say that. it. Um, you know, it's a film that I, I've been meaning to rewatch since I saw it, but that was one of the first ones of theirs I saw. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? I, I have been teaching... Before I even was teaching film, I was teaching it as a companion piece to the Odyssey when I was teaching ninth grade English. Um, as at the beginning of the film, it tells you this is based on the Odyssey. And uh, I love that because um, it's so unique. And the music in that, too, is I, I'm not a fan of bluegrass, but I love um, Man of Constant Sorrow. I think that song is amazing. And the sequences where they perform it are just great. And their style is is different in every film. But yet there's always the Cohen tone that comes in and the mannerisms and even dialogue choices. 
Um, and I, I just, I love them. Um, so I had three directors that I considered putting here, um, and I was only going to pick one of them. And it was basically a, a toss-up between Tarantino, who will not be on my two or one, um, Wes Anderson, and the Coens. And the Coens won. Um, and that's not an insult to Tarantino or Anderson. If anything, it's just showing how great I think the Coens are. Because all three of those guys, I watched, um, I've seen every movie they've done uh, for Anderson and for um, Tarantino. I've seen every movie that those two guys have done. And still, the Coens, who I'm missing a couple, won out. And to be fair, they have more. They have more movies than both Anderson and Tarantino. But um, I think their tone just matches my personality a little bit more. Um, like, I, I like Big Lebowski. I'm not as big on it as some other people. Like, some people, that's the, their movie. Um, I, I enjoy it. But I think uh, I'm going to go more, like, Inside Llewyn Davis or I love No Country for Old Men. Like, I can rewatch that movie anytime. Um, I just find so many things about that movie so compelling. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend No Country. But Their depth and volume and diversity of work is just, I mean... Bud Simple was introduced to my uh, to me by my stepdad way long ago, and I wasn't fully quite. I mean, it is a classic, and I need to watch it again. But at that point, I don't know that I was fully quite ready for it. But yeah, I, it sh- it's... I should mention I don't like the Lady Killers. I don't know if I said that or not, but I saw that uh, on a. It was a. Re- s- it's a remake too, and I think that's mm-hmm. worthy of note. It's one of their only remakes, um, and I think it shows that movie. It and. I, I saw it a long time ago um, at a friend's house, like uh, on a whim, not even knowing it was a Cohen film. Um, but I don't think I could rewatch it after watching it the first time. But um, I do have to say, uh, have either of you seen Burn After Reading? Nope. I haven't, but I'm pretty sure it's in my Netflix queue. That one's that one's weird. It's it's a it's really funny, and Brad Pitt has one of the best moments in his career, in my opinion, where he's running on a treadmill and he's just having a blast. Like he's like singing and like like I was dying. I was laughing so hard at him. Like and that's not something I usually get to say about Brad Pitt. You know, he's not usually a, in a funny scenario, but man, in Burn After Reading his character is hilarious. Um and it takes some crazy twists. Uh it's a it's a interesting uh kind of, I wouldn't call it a dark comedy. It's definitely a darker comedy, but it still doesn't feel as dark as some other comedies. But um yeah, they're they're great. It's they're guys that I I will Definitely anything their their names attached to, I'm going to give it a chance. In fact, they are part of the reason I watched Bridge of Spies, as they were uh, they were brought in to help rewrite the script um, for Bridge of Spies. And so I was like, oh, well, the Coens were involved. I'll give it a chance. And I ended up loving that movie. So Such a good movie. Nice pick. Uh, yeah, I should have had them on my list. But, uh, it's tough to narrow it down to five. It is. And again, like I said, I had two other directors who I love, and I've talked about I think fairly extensively on this show, at least Tarantino has been mentioned by all three of us many times. And in fact, I'm expecting to hear about him from one of you in the near future, probably. But um, I I decided to leave him off and Anderson um, in lieu of the Coens. So, all right. Uh, That's my number three. Corey, what do you have for number two? I have a feeling that Mike is going to have this guy on his list. Um, I went with Guillermo del Toro. Ah. Nope. No. Wow. Wow. Um, I think I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen all of his films. I think there are a couple I haven't seen. And then there are some that I purposefully didn't watch. Um, and I'm forgetting what they are right now, but Kronos, the devil's backbone okay. is still one of my favorites. Okay. And I love that he did them in Spanish. I love, um, I'm kind of picky about ghost stories. Mm-hmm. I feel like they can be really hard to 
master, but I think he does such a great job of it of it uh, at them. I should say. Um, well, I love then, Crimson. Oh, go, go the, ahead. The way the time period and everything fits with Devil's Backbone is just really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think kids are creepy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> some of his. What? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on, guys. There's a reason they made Village of the Damned. Um, Children of the Corn. It's a constant theme. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing. Kids are creepy. Baby. It's uh, to be fair, the baby isn't the creepy. Well, I mean, it is when you finally see it, but like the creepy part is just like you know, Satanist. Rosemary. <laughs> Um, I can't remember if Crimson Peak was held in high regard, but I love that movie so much, and I think it is so beautiful. Um, I went back and gave Pan's Labyrinth a rewatch because I felt like I hadn't given it a fair, you know, a fair chance, because I thought that it was marketed to me differently, and I enjoyed it. I love the orphanage. Um, I just feel like he brings something so special to horror films, and... He doesn't go with, like, I guess all the gore and blood and guts and stuff. He's very much into building atmosphere and um, stuff like that. So I thought he needed to be on my list. No, he's, I, he's, he's on my honorable mentions. He didn't make my honorable mentions, but he's really good. And um, he's very talented. Uh, Kronos, we talked about Kronos a long time ago. Yeah, we I did. I, well, it was one of the first movies you recommended for me to watch during my challenge last year before you even had joined Burke Reviews because I asked you, like, but right when I started it, I asked you for suggestions of movies that I should watch and Kronos and um, Devil's Backbone were both two things you recommended to me. Um, this, he's, I don't know why I didn't pick him. Again, it's really, you know, that's the other part with five and I think I have a female, yeah, I know I have a female honorable mention. Man. No, two. Two, because that's the other tough part, and I didn't want to feel like we were being exclusive, but I was like, all my directors are guys, and I didn't intentionally do that. Well, a part of it is Hollywood. The, the system... Is, the system. There is, it's, there's still a push. Uh, women are getting more um, directing chances, but a lot of their movies are indie and not um, as, as well seen, and definitely not as well marketed. Uh, that's why Patty Jenkins getting to direct Wonder Woman is such a big deal. Um, as if you look at, and I, I think, uh, Captain Marvel has a female director attached to it as well. Um, I just don't remember who it is, but, um, you know, well, it's funny that you say that because one of my honorable mentions, I'll just mention it very quickly. Catherine Bigelow mm. has done, you know, the Hurt Locker and Point Break, uh, Point Break, Z- Zero Point Dark Break, Thirty. Is, yeah, uh, and so she has good return on investment, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here we are. We're talking about a disparity, I guess. In the yeah, uh, well, I mean, Sophia Coppola. Um, I love Lost in uh, Translation. Also on my, also on my honorable mention. Yeah, and the re- and um, uh, I'm gonna forget her name. Um, the director who did Selma, um, and she directed uh, the documentary Thirteenth about the Thirteenth Amendment that came out last year. Um, why can't I think of her name? But she's uh, an up and coming director. I think she just doesn't have a big body of work yet. Um, and that's what I think would be true for a lot of female directors if you go looking, with the exception of Catherine Bigelow, but her her career, look at the gap from Point Break to Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she directed other things, but I don't know what they are. Because um, right. we're talking original Point Break, those of you who are listening. We're not talking yes, about the remake. Yes, um, no, no, we're talking about the that. iconic, which when you, th- I would have never guessed that film was directed by a female director um, just because it is such a bro film, you know, Patrick Swayze mm-hmm. and Keanu. Um, and... I think she's really proven that um, a female can direct like guys to be, you know, action stars. Like it's and, um, but yeah, I didn't even think about that with my list. Um, and in fact, the other thing, and I don't like to draw attention to this, but almost all, 
No, all of my directors on my top five are white guys, and it's the same problem. Um, especially if you were pulling from older directors, um, you you only had white males because that was all that was allowed to do the job back in the day. But uh, more so, again, um, the the I mean, part of it is the type of movie that I tend to watch. It just so happens um, that they happen to be white. But um, that's not to uh, to say like I love Ryan Coogler. He's done two films. You know, he's only done um, Fruitvale Station and Creed, but I love both of those films. And he's doing Black Panther, so I'm excited to see what he does with the Marvel uh, Marvel film. Um, but, you know, two movies. I try to keep, uh, honestly, this is truth. Um, when we were t- doing the auteur study in my film class, um, we said, uh, you know, the auteur has to have at least three films. And so part of my criteria for picking directors is they had to have at least three films that I'd seen. And so Ryan Coogler kicked out for that. Um, Spike Lee, uh, you know, one of the most iconic African-American directors mm-hmm. in film, I've only seen um, Do the Right Thing. And uh, I saw Malcolm X when I was a kid, and I, I I loved it as a kid, and I've been wanting to rewatch it. I bought it not long ago, but I have not rewatched it yet. But those are the only two films of his. That's not true. He Got Game is another one. I didn't even think about that one. I liked that movie as a kid, although I don't know if that's critically acclaimed. But point being... <laughs> Lots of white people on our list this week, and that's that stinks. It is indicative. It is, and um, it's indicative of the 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 industry. Unfortunately, at least how the industry has been. And I've always been, I would say, more of a John Singleton person. Over mm-hmm. and the, and the thing is, that I haven't watched a whole lot of Spike Lee films, and that's a hole in my not. When it happens, it's like, oh, you haven't. It's very people are like, oh, you know. Yep. All right. Um. Wait. I'm totally got. I got lost because of all the side tra- conversation. Uh, that was Corey's number two, right? Guillermo del Toro. Yep. Who is um, you know, not a white guy at least. Hey, look at that. Um, hey, two of mine so far. Wow, look at her diversity. James Wan. Uh, correct. Wow. Yep. Yep. Good Both point. dudes, though. Both dudes. Word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Mike, what is your number two? All right. Um, who? Who is your number? Gosh darn it. <laughs> what? I keep saying what instead Animal, of who. Animal, vegetable, or mineral? Oh uh, wait, min- mineral. Mineral. Um. <laughs> Well, okay, the Back, Back to the Future franchise alone merits the mention oh. of Robert Zemeckis on my short list of top five film directors. Yep. Adding to that, Forrest Gump, Castaway, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which I can't believe Andrew. that's him, too, by the way. Uh-huh. I know. He's got such a... Uh, Eclectic. And the stuff that, yeah, the stuff he's... Sorry, I'm a gun speechless. The stuff he came up with, or not just him, but the, the people he worked with, to get Who Framed Roger Rabbit to work and the way they did mm-hmm. the eye lines. Oh, I can't remember what I was watching. I don't know if it was extended features, but it came up and I'll be honest, it didn't, I was like, oh, it just seems so gimmicky. But just all the work involved just in that one was just amazing. He's kind of just those few films, which aren't, his, uh, What Lies Beneath wasn't the best. It was an interesting take on kind of a ghost story as well but mm-hmm. not interesting enough for me to really mention it in my initial list he has gone run the gamut uh, the old 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 one an early one i want to say his first one but it, i could be wrong uh, used cars kurt russell mm. as a used car salesman and <laughs> i remember because some of the gimmicks they were trying to uh, to use to sell pawn used cars on you know buyers and it was a rival used car dealerships across the street from each other just the sense of humor he has the kind of projects he picks just mm-hmm. stick, and back to the future it was an everyday every saturday during my you know high school years 
very de- developmental years, uh, it's going to stick with me. And so mm-hmm. I went ahead and picked him. Yeah, I had him. He is an honorable mention for me, and it was hard not to put him in my top five because um, I, I don't think about him, though, as a director, like like I do with the ones that are on my top five. Like, I watch the movies, and I'm like, oh, I love this movie. And then only later, I'm like, oh, that was Zemeckis? You know, like, it didn't even click, with the exception of the Back to the Future films, which I find really interesting because his top, uh, his most known for on IMDb are the trilogy for Back to the Future. But then you, like, like I love Back to the Future, but I think Forrest Gump is a much more <sighs> universal that film that people often, like, your casual moviegoer, when you say, do you like movies? Well, I love Forrest Gump. Like, that movie comes up so much in that conversation <laughs> for me that it not being on his known for is surprising, and... Yet, like, I don't think about Forrest Gump and Zemeckis. I think of Forrest Gump. Or I think of Castaway because of Tom Hanks. I think of, um, even, like, I love Polar Express. I think Tom Hanks. But it's Zemeckis, you know? And those are, uh, I think that's why I left him off my list, is I don't think of him as the director like I do. When uh, when I watch a Coen film, no matter who the actor is, I'm thinking of the Coens. I'm aware of the fact that it's a Coen film. And I am no way trying to talk yours off. I'm just saying that's why I didn't put him on. that's how I am. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm probably in that way with Cohen's if they escaped my list. Yeah, well, exactly. Like I, I'm, I love Zemeckis's films, and my only justification for not including because I, I went through and counted how many of his films I love, and I counted I think thirteen. So like he had more than you know both my first two picks combined. So how do I leave him off my top five? And that was kind of my my reasoning was that um, I can watch a movie and not realize it's him. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that's the difference, I think, for me, why I didn't put him on my list. But definitely, uh, he makes films that I generally love, although I didn't care for Allied from last year very much. But it was also a different take of a film for Zemeckis because he doesn't often do war movies and uh, action sequences like he does in Allied. So, All right. Um, I guess for sake of time, we'll move into my number two. Um, any guesses? No? Yeah. Oh well, be careful because well, you, you might already guess. said some that you wouldn't get, you wouldn't pick. So I don't, True. I'm not sure now. Mm. Well, um, my I'm just gonna say, Corey, you can say if this is who you were thinking, Christopher Nolan. Oh, man. Yeah. not on my list, but yeah. Well, Christopher Nolan uh, is like I've heard mixed things from from other critics about their their take on him, and I'm not saying he's perfect or anything, but he makes movies that I really generally get captivated by. Um. I can't, looking at his list of films, there's not a single one on this list that I'm not at least intrigued by. I think the worst movie he's done is Dark Knight Rises, and I still enjoy that movie, despite its many flaws. Um, I would have loved uh, for Heath Ledger, um, well, obviously, I wish he hadn't died, but I, I wonder what the movie would have been, because there's so many rumors that it would have been, um, Joker would have been the villain in the third movie, and it may have been a much better film, and... If that rumor has any truth to it, it could have severely altered the course he had to go. And so having a third movie in a trilogy that doesn't quite do it, that would be a pretty good excuse, you know, where his plans were wrecked. Um, And if that's the case, that's the only movie of his that I don't have a lot of love for. Um, I loved Interstellar. I love Inception. Um, The Prestige is fantastic. Memento is, I mean, it's taught in film classes all over the place because it kind of revolutionized the the nonlinear story. Um, you know, Insomnia is a great adaptation, and then his first film following is so interesting to me, and I can't wait for Dunkirk solely because it's a Nolan film. So, uh, you know, I think it's if you've listened to our top uh, our predictions for this year, our our most anticipated films of 2017, I think there's no surprise that uh, Christopher Nolan is on my list. I wish I've seen I, I haven't missed out on the Inception. 
Hmm. I know that's I a big one. It. That's a big one that I missed out on, and I just need to watch it. Um, Memento. I I started following, but it was too late at night. I need to watch it with actual mm-hmm. focus on it because I think it's a one you really have to pay Definitely. Close attention to. Actually, so is Inception. Um, um, Inception, you cannot watch. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, I mean, honestly, even Memento, um, uh, you know, there's so many things going on that you really do have to pay attention to and yeah. want to be able to focus on it and not just be distracted. I think that's true, in fact, for all of his movies, except for maybe the Batman films. Um, the Batman films are kind of the most straightforward. Um, but, like, Prestige, there's a lot of little things that if you're not paying attention, you won't get the reward of having noticed them at the end of the film. And that's true of all, like, Interstellar is the same way. Um, I don't know if Dunkirk's going to be that way. Dunkirk could be very straightforward of a story, or um, it could do what he does best, which is these little intricate uh, plot devices that you know some people think are gimmicky. I find captivating and make his movies um, rewatchable because I want to see like how things connect. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan. Um, I also I do love his Batman films. Um, I do think Dark Knight is the best Batman f- film uh, to date, um, and you know so that's he or he has a lot i mean to be fair too i did enter into the nolan uh his his movies solely because of batman but after seeing batman begins and then dark knight i was like what else has this guy done and started looking into it and um (laughs) now see i went the other direction ah except for you know well mm, inception yeah yeah you definitely gotta check that one out that one's pretty great ellen page is in that one too a fan of ours um uh, not a fan oh, of yeah. Ellen Page is a fan of ours. She's, she's a fan of ours. She listens to the podcast. What did I'm she sure. Call? Um, no, but all right. Uh, let's get into our final picks. Uh, Corey, what do you got for number one? Corey, Corey. Oh no. Oh what? What just happened? I she was just her. laughing. Sorry, I. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. There you are. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Okay. So I'm wondering if we have the same number one. Oh okay. I went with Jeremy Saulnier. Oh no, uh, we do not. Although oh. I do love him, but he's not on my top five. Okay. Um, another director that has a very small body of work, only three films so far. I just yesterday finally got around to seeing Murder Party, which was so totally exactly what you said, unexpected. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great. And it's his only movie, I think, that has a lot of humor in it. I <laughs> yeah. found myself laughing a lot, and there was so much that was ridiculous, and mm-hmm. I just couldn't even handle it. But, um, and let me think. The first movie of his that I saw was Blue Ruin, and mm-hmm. I was just captivated right away. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, Green Room was fantastic, one of my favorite movies of last year. And thank you for introducing me to and being a frequent collaborator of, of Mick and Blair, because yep. I love him also, and... We saw um, Saulnier's influence on his first directorial debut, which had a lot of humor in it. So I just think that that's kind of cool how that goes full circle like that. But I can't wait to see more work from him. But if he wants to take his time, by all means, please do so, because everything that you've directed so far has been great. And he has written all of his movies also. And he was the DP in Murder Party as well. That's the director of photography. So he's also the cameraman or at least the, the head cameraman um, during that film. But he, he actually started as a uh, DP for, like, commercials and stuff. And so 
Um, he refined his craft as a visual technician first, which is why his movies are generally visually stunning. And God, the dude uses practical effects like nobody else right now. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of, when I started watching Murder Party yesterday, I'd already tried to sit down and watch it once before, but my head wasn't in it. So I just stopped and, you know, finally went back to it yesterday. And I was expecting, because it's clearly a low-budget film, I was kind of expecting that to really, you know, be obvious on the screen, but I didn't feel that way at all. I Actually, I agree with you. Other than not recognizing the cast, um, it, with the exception of Macon Blair, like, none of the other people are actors uh, outside of and that I'm movie. pretty sure his wife plays Lexi. No, not Lexi. The other girl, Sky. And to be fair, after my little uh, slip with the wording for Ellen Page, um, both Jeremy Salonier and um, his wife have liked some of my tweets in reference to Green Room from last year, so kind of had a little bit of contact with them. Um, it's exciting. Uh, yep. Or not. Whatever, you know. <laughs> it's exciting. We'll take all, any Anyone other. that disagrees can't be our friend. There it is. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I love him. Um, I did watch Murder Party today, in fact, and also enjoyed it. Um, definitely wasn't sure what I was getting into just by the name of the film. Um, I was shocked at the uh, the kind of the mocking of the art crowd. Um, like, I loved it. It was yeah. so hilarious. And also, I'm going to just I think that the story is just so great. And that's something else that I like about his movies is. I feel like we see a lot of the same plot lines, a lot of the same stories in so many movies that come out, and his are so unlike other movies that I've seen, and I appreciate that. And they're all very different from each other. Yeah. um, Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's just tone is so different. I think Blue (laughs) Ruin and and Green Room are, it's like his color trilogy. Oh, (laughs) interesting. You should have something red. Murder Party's red. All the blood. But not named, named after oh, color. Crud. So, so we have upcoming. It's next be one. Upcoming. Blue Ruin, Green Room, and then uh, something. I, I want a happy color. Let's go like yellow. I, yellow I tulip. I was going to say something given the majority of our list, but I'm, I'm going to not because All I right. don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. What is your uh, number one pick? Who? Who? So, who? Who? I'm freaking out well. over here. <laughs> And, uh, again, I'd be remiss without including someone that some uh, something that has shaped my adolescence. Someone that has shaped my adolescence. Very, and his version of Dune is so ah. divisive. Uh, it's probably the most divisive science fiction treatment ever committed to film. And even David Lynch himself calls it a failure. And I feel like he's being too hard on himself. Um, he is one of the few that you know wasn't his own work and he's at adapting and was working with Dino De Laurentiis and it's it's a big thing uh, he had been and we I think we had this conversation he'd earlier been offered uh, Return of the Jedi to helm it by George oh, Lucas wow. but again he turned it down because it's like this isn't mine this is George's what can I bring to it and what a trippy installment of Star Wars that would be if he had taken it um, yeah, because if you've not seen Dune, and I've got three different copies, I think I got DVD, <laughs> digital, and Blu-ray. Somewhere along the line, I just went a little nuts. They they weren't all bought. It was about like one or one year apart for each of them, or something like that. And that's not even all of them. Um, going to Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, uh, Eraserhead, The Elephant Man, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire. Uh, there's so, and and I know I've been reading that he is definitely retired. Yep, from film. From from yeah. film. 
And, you know, it's I guess it's time I will miss his work. And I'm glad he's got the volume of work. He, I, I cannot wait for Twin Peaks. Two weeks very, very soon here, uh, which is TV. But, I mean, he even made that film, which, again, didn't click. But he does he does what he wants. And I'm okay with it. And a lot of people are. And I, he's there's no one quite like him. I haven't no. seen most of his films. I've only I think I've only seen Twin Peaks, um, but he's been on a list of directors I want to uh, watch more of his work because I've heard so much about him being so different and innovative. And um, yeah, it's uh, not surprising though that he's your number one. You've definitely talked about his films throughout the the course of this podcast, and um, I think one of the motivators for me watching Twin Peaks was you. So um, and Corey actually. So great chill. Yeah, my number one is a director who I am pretty sure makes his movies for me. Um, close to like how John Carney has hit my musical spot, this director hits everything I love over and over again so much that there's no way he's not just making them for me to enjoy, and if other people happen to, then fine. And so I owe it to this director to be honest with myself and say he is, without any question, my favorite director, and that is Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. I, Thought coming. I yeah, shouldn't have been surprised. Uh, over the <laughs> over the course of the last several years, it has become very obvious to me that um, Edgar Wright is my favorite director. Uh, he has produced more. He's only done four films up until this uh, June's Baby Driver, but I have watched Scott Pilgrim and The World's End more than any movie released in the last ten years. Um, between the two of those films, I have binge watched both of those multiple times. I have watched it over and over and over. Uh, Scott Pilgrim for a while was like if it was on HBO, it was going to be on my TV. There was no getting around it. And I hadn't had a movie like that since like early 2000s. Um, and then The World's End came out and I, I saw it in the theater. It was the only Edgar Wright film I got to see in the theater um, at uh, at this point. I will see Baby Driver in the theater. Um, I saw it in the theater. I bought the blue uh, the, the the trilogy Blu-ray box set when it came out with World's End. And I rewatched World's End like five times within a week of owning the Blu-ray. <laughs> Um, and I have now taught them, uh, so I've I've not only watched them all. I've I've shown Scott Pilgrim every year that I've taught film for the last five years. I've shown Scott Pilgrim, so I, awesome. I, um, it is one of my some some of my students absolutely love it, and then others are completely baffled by what's going on in, on the film, especially if they're not gamers because there's so many video game references in that movie. Um, but like I said, I, I feel like all of his movies are written to speak to me, which I have to at least give credit. While they're not the directors, Simon Pegg co-wrote all. Uh, three of the trilogy films with Edgar and I think Simon Pegg has become one of my favorite actors um, I think he was on my list even for top five actors if I'm not mistaken so uh, I, I love Simon Pegg and honestly I love Nick Frost I wish he'd get more work but um, or at least not do like Cuban Fury again which I haven't seen but it's not it does not bode well from what I've read but um, I, I love everything Wright's done I look forward to everything he'll do um, in fact, not only does Baby Driver come out, but there is a uh, um, animated film called Shadows that is uh, being kept in the shadows as far as what it's about. But it's his first animated film he's direct listed to direct. So I'm really intrigued by that. And that's slated for 2019. Wow. Yep. So uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, that was probably somewhat predictable that Edgar Wright would be my number one. Um, as I talk about the guy a lot, I do. Um, I've also watched his TV series Spaced. Um, which I also loved. And so, again, Simon Pegg involved with that as well. And Nick Frost. Um, that's our top five directors. Uh, real quick before we end the podcast, we'll just go around. If you have any any directors you want to honorable mention, um, I already mentioned a few throughout the, the course. I'll try to keep it quick. So go ahead, Corey. 
I wanted to give a shout out to Jennifer Kent for directing Babadook. I can't wait to see more work from her. And she was actually in the talks for a while to direct Wonder Woman. Hmm. Yeah, but that fell through. <laughs> um, and then John Hughes and Quentin Tarantino. Ah, Mike? Uh, we already mentioned Sofia Coppola and Catherine Bigelow, but I threw in Kevin Smith, of course. Yep, me and too. And Zach Braff. Oh my God, I don't have him, but I should. I, I mean, he's only done three movies, but I love mm-hmm. all three of them. All yep. of them, yeah. Um, yep. Didn't even think about him, but good call. Um, I am uh, gonna throw Danny Boyle, which Corey, I'm surprised he's not on your oh list. Oh my God, I'm fired. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, it. Bye. <laughs> I almost had him in my top five because I've we've watched so many of his movies recently. And I yeah. absolutely love, um, honestly, the ones that I love most aren't his biggest films, but I love, well, Slumdog is, but I really love Slumdog a lot. And I love Steve Jobs. I think that was one of the most underrated films of that year. Such a good movie. And um, to make that story so like compelling, between him and um, Aaron Sorkin, who wrote uh, wrote the screenplay, that movie is just uh, so exciting for a movie that is 90% dialogue. Like, it is so much talking. And- and I feel like I'm watching an action movie. I'm just like on the edge of my seat, like, are they gonna make it? I don't know. And oh. um, it's based on a true story, so I really shouldn't feel that way. But I, I, uh, Steven Spielberg, obviously, Wait, you know what's next? Yeah, correct. Um, Spielberg is like Zemeckis. Um, there are so many movies he's done. In fact, Jurassic Park and Jaws are in my top ten films of all time. And um, I love Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then there's countless other films that he's done that I love. Um, and there's some that I don't, but uh, just like Zemeckis, actually. Uh, Martin Scorsese, um, not having him is, is hard because he's iconic. I almost feel like he's up there at this point with Hitchcock where it's just ubiquitous. People know Scorsese. And I do, even though Mike just mentioned him, I feel obligated to bring up Kevin Smith. For the longest time, I called him my favorite director. I know he's not the best. Um, th- uh, he'll say he's not the best. He knows that, you know. Um, but he made movies that clicked for me uh, that still to this day I love. Granted, his most recent films have not worked the, to that same degree, but when I look at Clerks, when I look at Mallrats um, and Dogma, they're just films that I still can watch and, and laugh and have a good time and with. even Red State? Even Red State? I love Red State. I think Red State's his most underrated film as a result. Um, people, I think, kind of didn't give him a chance. And, I, and while he'll diss Cop Out, and Cop Out's not a great movie, there are some funny scenes in Cop Out. Um, and I don't know who gets the credit for that, but like the scene with Tracy Morgan interrogating a guy and doing different uh, action movie impressions is hilarious. Like it, it's just <laughs> absolutely hilarious. But um, and then it, it is stupid too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's like a great movie, but it's. I think it's better than people often give it credit. Um, but and just to throw a name out there of a person who I don't consider to be an auteur, but I do tend to like the movies he directs and J.J. Abrams. Um, he brought back the Star Wars franchise to its rightful glory. So and so good. he deserves at least an honorable mention for me. Um, last, and I, I know we're running a little long, but the last two I just want to bring up that I, I didn't feel met my criteria of three movies, but I, I can't wait to see their next movies. Taika Waititi, um, who did uh, mm-hmm. What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, is directing Thor Ragnarok this year. And I'm very the most excitement I've ever had towards a Thor film is because of his name being attached to it. Um, and then Damien Chazelle, who has uh, only done two films, but I think at this point it's kind of obvious he's an amazing director. He did Whiplash, which is a fantastic movie with Miles Teller and J. Uh, K. Simmons, and then La La Land, where he got his recognition um, for being just amazing as this young guy who's making a, a you know game-changing musical film in the in the year 2016 like it's it's crazy how young this guy is and he's the youngest director ever winning best director uh, uh oscar so 
Um, oh. Can't wait to see what else he's going to do because he's he's knocked two movies out of the park. Uh, I can't wait for number three. But that's our list for the week, guys. Um, if you like what you hear, please retweet or uh, share this podcast with your friends. Talk about us. Tell people they got to listen. It's free. It costs them nothing. They can listen to it at their own convenience while they're driving to work or whatever. Um, we'd love to hear your top five directors. Who did we leave off? Who should we be talking about? And, of course, um, you know, what do you think about our list? Um, you can tweet at me at Burke Reviews. You can tweet at Corey. At Corey Earthstar. Two R's on the end. Or at Mike. At Server Monkey. And feel free to either you can comment on our Facebook page on the, the our our website, BurkeReviews.com, or on our SoundCloud right underneath the, uh, the the track. You can just tell us what you think, tell us your list, et cetera. Um, we love hearing from the fans. We'd love to he- uh, be able to share some of your list on the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another topic. Um, this week's episode of Movie Club, we're going to be watching Synecdoche, New York, which is a Charlie Kaufman uh, written film, but also directed by Charlie Kaufman um, in honor of we've been kind of working through his uh, work. So we're, we're at Synecdoche. Corey's never seen it. Uh, we'll be talking Goodness about that one in this me. coming episode. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks, guys, for giving your Sunday night. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good week. All right. You too, guys. Peace. Have a good one.